Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Amanda spoke on war. Daniel spoke on being a man. And then Pastor Scott the eye and anxiety. All three of those are introductions to my message today. Last Christmas, I learned a new song. I said a new song is new to me, but Elvis Presley hasn't recorded any new songs lately. So it's just new to me. That song has ministered to me many times since I've learned it. I catch myself singing it, even though it's a Christmas song. Now, let me let you in on a secret. I figured this out. It's only 165 days to Christmas. It's a Christmas song, but it ministered to me. And the title of it is, Why Can't Every Day Be Like Christmas? And it goes on to say, What a wonderful world it would be. And I was thinking about that. What would be like if every day would have the peace and joy and love of Christmas? As I was thinking about what to share for today, God and Country Day, that song just kept reverberating in my mind, but a little bit different light. Tomorrow, we celebrate the birthday of this great country. And yes, I said great country. Do we have blemishes? Yes, we do. Do we have challenges? Yes, we do. Do we have things in our history that we're ashamed of? Yes, we do. But chances are, so do you. But our nation has been a bastion. And I want to make sure I had the right definition to that, so I looked it up. What does bastion mean? It means an institution, a place, or person strongly defending or upholding particular principles, attitudes, or activities. How many believes the United States has done that? The United States has done that. And I don't know... Many of you know that I'm a a real patriotic person. And I don't think I've ever shared this with you. I don't know. I was thinking about this morning. Maybe my patriotism goes back to the fourth grade. Because in the fourth grade, we used to do the plates to the flag and the national anthem every morning. And prayer. And I was reading. And I did not stand for the national anthem. And my teacher knew how to get my attention. She knew two licks wouldn't do it. But she knew if I stayed in for a week from P.E. and wrote, I will stand for the playing of the national anthem. By the end of that week, when I hear that first note... But I want to tell you, I think it's more than that. 
I still have a pride. I'm proud to be an American. I've been able to travel a few places. Even last week, went to Canada. But you can go to the U.S. borders anywhere you want to go. And there's a lot of people trying to get in, but nobody trying to leave. I've never been to a border where people are trying to leave America and they wouldn't let them. But there's a lot of people trying to get in. God bless America. Recently, God blessed the rights of thousands of unborn children. It is something to celebrate, but it's also a challenge. I said there's also a challenge that the church has got to step up to assist in handling all of the effects. And we know there's a battle going on. And I know some of you may not feel like many of us do. But I thank God for the unborn. And they're loved by God. But it's not a time to be arrogant. And I've seen a lot of arrogance out there. We finally won! It's not time to be prideful or hateful. It's time to step up. And respond to this answered prayer. Because how many thinks it was an answer to prayer? Now, back to my message. Tomorrow we celebrate the birth of our country. There are many, many celebrations. And I couldn't help but think, along with that song again, what if every day was like the 4th of July? What if every day we could celebrate our country? But then I thought back, to another degree. I thought about right after 9-11. Any of you remember that? You know what the amazing thing after 9-11 was? For the next few days, people forgot if they were Republican or Democrat or Independent. They forgot about so many things except the fact we were America. And somebody attacked us on our land. And you may not realize it, but we had the greatest surge of signers and people committing to the military than we did since the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Bombing Pearl Harbor was a tragedy. But guess what? After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the enlistment stations were overrun. They couldn't stay up with signing up people wanting to enlist. And so my thought was going back to that song, what if every day was like that? What if every day was like that? Now, what I haven't told you is I like that song, but I've changed it just a little bit. I changed the wording of that song that ministered to me. Instead of saying, what if every day would be like Christmas? I changed it to what if every man would be like Jesus? What if every man would be like Jesus? What a wonderful world it would be. Now, before you say that's impossible, let me acknowledge that there's none of us here, except maybe two or three of you, but most of us would acknowledge we'd never be perfect. 
Now, I read we'd have a hard time convincing him of that, but, uh, but most of us would say, we can't be like Jesus. And I understand that. I understand that. But shouldn't that be our goal? I mean, isn't that what the word Christian means, to be like Christ? But I believe the church in America, we need to wake up. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, now there's some question because it showed up in a movie, but a statement was attributed to the admiral of the Japanese when he said, we have awakened the sleeping giant. We have woke up America. Well, I believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, at least in America. Now, I qualify that because there are places in the world that are having great revival. There are places in the world that going through terrible, terrible situations that are having revival. So I'm not going to say in the, throughout the world, but I believe in America, the church is a sleeping giant. What if we would wake up? And friends, if we don't wake up, it may become too late to wake up. I believe the world has been poking the sleeping giant and we continue to doze. And somebody said, well, what is the solution? Well, I'm glad you asked. What if every man would be like Jesus? What a wonderful world it would be. I realize that God did not call us to transform the world. He called us to win many people to Christ. But the great evangelist Lester Roloff said it best, in my opinion, the best way to change America is not by changing presidents. But the best way to change America is to change Americans. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, let's look at that for a few minutes. In 1896, you heard the year right, not 1996, but in 1896, Charles Sheldon wrote a book that has sold over 50 million copies. The title, In His Steps. Many of us, you might not know that the full title is In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? See, you thought that was something just a few years ago when people had the vans. That's been around a long time, in 1896. But that's more than just a catchy phrase. It's a scripture. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, if you will listen fast, I'll preach fast. And I'll assure you we will not run out of hot dogs and hamburgers. And your kids will not be drowned before you get there. So don't worry about the time. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, servants, now we don't like that word, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But if when you do good and suffer for you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Or that we would do what Jesus would do. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Oh, that's some great words there. That we entrust. And then what Scott was talking about when casting our anxiety upon the Lord. We entrust in him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Of course, King James says, by his stripes you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What is he saying? He said, every one of us are servants to Christ. The church our servants to Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been strengthened. He said, you were straying, but you have now returned to the shepherd. Folks, it's not a time that we need to be judgmental because if it were not for the grace of God, that could be your eye. I said, if it were not for the grace of God, it could be any one of us. I've just been amazed recently. I've been sharing with so many people how God has done so much more for me than I ever dreamed. How many of you that God has brought you further than you ever dreamed? He brought you further than you ever dreamed about. And you look at it and said, is that me? Did God do that? I was once one of those, but look what God has done. And we could preach all day and not come close to covering all the things that Jesus did. The last verse that John wrote in his gospel now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Wherever one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the book that could be written. God has been so good. And that was after the Gospels had been written. That was a close. John was the last Gospel written, and that was kind of summing it up. And look what he had written. All those things God did. He said, but that just scratches the surface. What we have seen just scratches the surface of what God has done and his potential. So we ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? Well, if we're going to ask that question, who do you think we need to go look at to ask, answer the question? Let's go look at a couple of passages that Jesus said. Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And I'm going to read this quickly. It's a story that we all familiar with. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, I know none of you have ever done that. But him wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You said to love God and love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and barred it, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest 
was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let me just simply say that Levite and that priest, representative of the religious community. What we would say, the church. They were the church of that day. Now, I know we can get a theological debate, but we're not here to debate. I'm just telling you, that was the church of that day. They passed to the other side. They saw someone. Now, if they'd not seen it, it would have been different. But they saw him, and they moved to the other side of the street. And they kept on going. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, someone of a different ethnicity, Someone that was rejected. Someone that was looked down upon by the Jewish nation. And remember, this was a, talking about the religious people. And he said, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And likewise, Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I want to sum up this story very, very briefly and just say the good Samaritan took his time, took his talents, and took his treasure to minister. We've talked about for church. And I'm not proud of this, but I think almost everybody here could probably say, I really don't know my neighbors. Any of us say that? I really, I don't have time. And we understand that. How many of you are busy? Now, some of you have been lying to me. Because every time I ask you to do something, you'll say, Pastor, I'm too busy. And now nobody raised their hand. The Pharisee, the priest, the Levite, excuse me, they didn't have time. They saw somebody in need. And then a Samaritan. Now we know that Jesus was Jewish, but who do you think he was talking about when he was talking about the good Samaritan? Who do you think he was talking about when he said that showed mercy? Has anyone ever showed greater mercy than Jesus Christ? I said, have they? No. The most merciful being in the history. He saw them. And what did he do? He did what he could do. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this, but simply put, he took the talent, the abilities that he had. Now, I want to tell you something. God will never ask you to do something that you can't do without giving you the ability to do it. And sometimes we say, I don't have any ability. It doesn't appear that this man had a whole lot of ability. He said, he, set him on his, he, he went to him and bound up his wounds. He ministered first aid. 
He didn't do anything great. He just did what he could do to help this man that was beaten. But the religious leaders didn't have time. The religious leaders did not take their ability. How many thinks that probably that priest and Levite knew just as much as the Samaritan did? But he didn't use his talents. He didn't use his abilities. But this Samaritan, one that the Jews rejected, he not only shared his time, he shared his talent, but he also shared of his treasure. So when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? Do you think he might share his time? If you study the miracles that Jesus did, almost all of his great miracles were performed on his way doing something else. Jesus was willing to be interrupted so that he could share mercy. Now, before we leave that passage, I just want to read a verse in that same chapter where Jesus went to Mary and Martha and he said, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted. What does it mean? She was upset because she was too busy to sit and listen to Jesus. Too busy to love her neighbor. See, it's hard to love your neighbor when you're out frustrated because you are distracted by your service. Now, I believe in service. I believe in work. We're all servants. But we need to realize that the priority is ministering in the name of Jesus to show his mercy, show his mercy and his grace. Most of you know that John chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters. It's one of my go-to chapters. Let me just point out a few more things that Jesus would and would not do. Yes, there's some things he would not do. I know you don't want to hear this, but sometimes the best thing that we can do is to shut up and do nothing. Yeah, you heard me say that. And I said it intentionally. That scripture says, study to be quiet is not preached very often. But there's some things Jesus wouldn't do. There's some things that he did. So let's go to John chapter 4. Start verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This would have been a great time for Jesus to preach to her on the difference between Jews and Samaritans. It would have been a great time for him to justify himself. How many notice that he didn't rise to the bait at all? He didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. 
What did he do? Verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drink from himself and did as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I would give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This would have been a great time for him to discuss religion. It would have been a great time for him to question. What, don't you think Jesus could have answered that question? He says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Don't you think he could have waxed eloquent and, and made her know that he was greater than Jacob? Sometimes we get so caught up wanting to show how smart we are. And how worst and how versed we are in Scripture that we remember or forget what Jesus said. Basically, he said, Let me give you what I have. Folks, God didn't call you to straighten people out, He called you to share Jesus. He didn't call you to convince them that you're right and that your theology is more correct than theirs. He said, let your light shine so that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. And then he said, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him and says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What have you said is true. Don't you think that would have been a great time for him to start correcting her? Listen, lady, if you want to live for God, you need to get married. I mean, that's what we usually do. You know, if you're going to live for God, you got to straighten up. Do you find that in Scripture? Do you find that in that story? That's not what Jesus did. He said, no, if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. He didn't say, you've got to stop this nonsense. I don't have time to go there, but I, I grew up whenever young men that had long hair got saved, that first thing somebody told them, you got to go get your hair cut. Any of you remember that? Some of you are saying, I wish I had something to cut. <laughs> Verse 19. The woman said to her, him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where you ought to worship. Now, I want to say this was a great time to plug his church. He said, yeah, but that's what the Baptists believe. That's Catholic. But what the Assemblies of God believe. Did you notice he didn't say that? He didn't say that. I'm 
glad that you're proud to be a part of Oxford Assembly of God. But I want to tell you, God never told us to cause people to come to the Assemblies of God. He said, tell them about Jesus. And he says, now is the time not to plug our church. But it says, the time's coming and now is that we'll worship him in spirit and in truth. I love the story of David and Goliath. And I know some of you probably said, well, Pastor, you haven't told us anything new. I know it. Guess what? You're not going to hear anything new the rest of it either. I love the story of David and Goliath. An interesting note of that story, and you've heard me say this before, some of you, that in Scripture, Goliath was never called a giant. Read it. Never calls him a giant. You know what calls him? A champion. Now, was he a giant? Yeah. At least I would think he's a giant. If he walked into our gym, his head would not touch the rim, but the basket would touch his head. That's a pretty tall dude. But the scriptures do not call him a giant. We add that to it. And, it's, and it fits. But that champion went out every day and taunted the Israeli army. For sake of simplicity today, let's just say he went out and taunted the church. I want to tell you, there's a lot of people making fun of the church these days. I said, there's a lot of people making fun of the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. What was... What was Goliath doing? He said, I'm the champion. You find a champion. You find a champion that'll come fight me because I've never been defeated. And David just showed up on the scene. You know what David went? He went to carry fish sandwiches and cheese. He took food to his brothers. And when he heard that giant out there taunting them, ridiculing them, laughing at them, he was amazed. He wasn't amazed at the giant. He was amazed that that church was sitting back doing nothing when the champion of the Philistines was challenging the nation of Israel, challenging the God of Israel, and this little guy said, who does this dude think he is? They said, well, he's a champion. Said, we can't find a champion? No. Saul has said if we could find a champion, he'd let him marry his daughter. If we could find somebody that would represent us, Couldn't find one. And David said, well, I got news for him. I'm not afraid of him. Now, I, I was kind of thinking, and maybe I got this wrong in my mind. But, you know, the Bible tells us about how Saul was laughing at David. Laughing at him. Why are you sending me this kid? To fight me, the undefeated champion. That's what he said. But I kind of believe that whenever 
he looked up and saw this runt getting his weapon running at him. What did that signify? I'm not afraid of him. Any of you ever mess with any bullies? Let me just tell you, most of the time, a bully will back down. They're used to people running from them. Goliath had won every, every battle, but here comes a kid slinging a fling, slingshot. Now, I don't know what his thoughts were, but I can tell you he wasn't very bright that he didn't duck that stone. Killed him. Let me rephrase that. Might not have killed him. It knocked him out because the next thing happened that this little runt took the sword, his sword, the enemy's sword, and chopped his head off. Read the story. But I was thinking, the emperor or the admiral said, we've awakened a sleeping giant. Do you think that might have been the last thought that went, went through Goliath's mind? I done woke up the sleeping giant. How many knows that God's not changed? He's the same God that was there in the battle of the giant. He's the same God that was there when Jesus ministered to the woman at the well. He was the same God that ministered and Jesus told the scripture that this is what you ought to do. Prior to the to and during the Revolutionary War, there was what was to become known as the Black Robed Regiment. It was made up, why was it called Black Robe? It was made up of clergy. It made up of clergy who not only preached the gospel, but they would take off their black robes and put on the military garb and go fight in the Revolutionary War. Now, maybe you never thought about it, but England was the strongest nation on the face of the earth at that time. They had the strongest navy. They had beat the Spanish Armada. They had military that would make this rinky-dink group of people. They probably had more people in their army than the United States had in their colonies. You have to say they were facing a giant. They were facing a giant. And tomorrow we celebrate the victory. Because... That group became champions. This fledgling nation became a champion. Now let me just ask you. How many of you would agree with me that it's time for the church to awaken to the task before us? It's time for the church to wake up. Now let me see again what Jesus did. It's not time to argue. It's not time to condemn. It's not time to judge, but to simply to present the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just in word, but in deed. Amen. So let me ask you, 
How many are ready to wake up? I believe the world has been poking us long enough and we just turn over and go back to sleep. We just ignore the things going on. But I think it's time to wake up. How many are ready to stand, as Daniel said, and be a man? How many are ready to wake up? How many are ready to take the time to use the talents that you have, to give your treasures? How many of you are ready to be a champion for the cause of Christ? It's a challenge. Is America perfect? Far from it. Is the church perfect? Far, far from it. But let me remind you of this. How many thinks when they built the ark and all those animals were in there, how many think it's a nice place to stay? But it was the best thing afloat. The church, Brother Brown, with all of his problems, is still the best thing afloat. America, with all of its problems, is still the best nation afloat. And God wants us to wake up. What a wonderful world it'd be if every man would be like Jesus. So excited about 22 young people going to youth camp tomorrow. I might not be excited while I'm driving them down, but I will be excited when I drop them off. <laughs> but I'm really excited. And I want us to pray for those young people as we conclude this service. But how many are ready to say, listen, I want to be the good Samaritan. I want to be the one that's not looking and complaining, but the one that is doing what God wants us to do, being involved in kingdom work. If that's your desire, I'd like to encourage you to stand with me as our team comes to worship. We want to pray with you, and if you're here and you need special prayer, and I'd like all of the youth that are coming, going to youth camp tomorrow, you, you make your way right over here so that everybody here can pray for you today. All of the youth that are going, and I know all of them are not here. Got 22 going, but we praise God for every one of them. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.